Welcome to Grubb for Thought. This is our, uh, used to be our monthly video cast, but now we do it almost weekly at Grubbable. And we have Corey right here with us, one of the founders of Mitten Crate. And today we're going to talk about a little bit about Mitten Crate and mostly about the emergence of local food artisans and how artisanal food and uh, artisanal snack is heading up the local food scene and um, why it's a good space to be in. Sounds like a good conversation. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, hi, Corey. How's, How's it going? going? It's going well. It's going well. Enjoying beautiful weather, which is really nice. I know. We should be outside. We should do the next one outside. Yeah. Do grilling and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. All right. So, uh, let's get started. Um, so, for most people who are aware of Grubbable, they know we're all about local and sustainable, and which is why we're also like partnered with Mitten Crate because you guys are all about local, as your name suggests. You're all about the Mitten State. So, Corey, tell us a little bit, little bit about you know the passion behind Mitten Crate, how you came about doing it, and how's it how's it been so far? Um, well, I mean, so far so good. We launched about three and a half years ago. The the idea for Mitten Crate was there's this huge uptick in people producing, you know, kind of like back to their roots, like mom pod type companies, um, and also producing like arson products. So like maybe you have like arson products, like there's, you know, really funky flavors of like candy coated nuts, or you just have people that are just doing like a all natural barbecue sauce. It's nothing super crazy or fancy, but they're using really good ingredients and they're making it here local in the state. Um, my business partner Andrew also owns a, a candy company called Dave Sweet Tooth. Um, and so when launching his company, he found that kind of being, you know, you're a small fish in a big pond, right? And so yeah. how can all of these vendors kind of get a foothold? Cause it's the consumer wants local products. The consumer will spend money on local products. will spend more money on local products. Um, but if they don't know what products are local or where to get them or how to get them or who's doing what, I mean, they're, I mean, everybody's, we're all creatures of habit, right? So if you don't know what's out there, you're just going to continue to do the same thing because it's mm -hmm. like, it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, so at the core, we started a subscription box service and the idea behind it was like, kind of like a wine club, but for Michigan made foods. So like every month you would get like a different allotment of Michigan made goodies. Um, some stuff it's, it's really small grab and go things, like maybe like a bag of chips or trail mix. Sometimes it's more um, like party type stuff where you maybe have like a, like a jar of salsa or, you know, like more food stuff, like a like pasta or sauce or something along those lines, and then sometimes it's just like really fun stuff, like um, you know quirky stuff, like drinking vinegars or um, <laughs> you know like chocolate covered Michigan cherries, like just like cool little things like that. Oh, um, that sounds yummy! Yeah, so all of these vendors are all you know, it's not really big giant vendors that are already going to be in like all of these stores. It's like smaller vendors that are still selling at farmers markets, or that are only distributed in you know four stores, or only sell online, or whatever. So, just trying to get the little guys a foothold. Yeah. So actually, that was going to be my next question. So, what is the difference between you know some of the local vendors who are really passionate? A lot of them are like you know one two people run companies, and what's the difference between those guys and some of the larger um, food vendors out there? Um, I would say there's probably two huge differences. Um, I would say one is the way that a small business is ran is grossly different than how a large corporation is ran. Um, and I think that's, I mean, it can be a positive and a negative, you know, I mean, there's obviously benefit to like larger corporate structure, um, uh, efficiency, scales, logistics, 
you know, supply chain, all this stuff is, is always a lot easier the more you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the big thing is that the businesses are ran completely different. Um, but I think that that also therein lies kind of the beauty of ours and products where, you know, you have people who are the people that are actually making your products are the people that you're talking to. Um, yeah. you know, so that's always really cool. And it's like people who everybody has like a cool backstory and, you know, you get so involved. It's like they can paint this whole picture. It's not just like a salad dressing on the shelf. Oh, it's like made by a machine and yeah, it, it tastes good. And maybe it's healthy or it's your favorite flavor or whatever, but like, there's no, there's no soul there. And I think with yeah. a lot of the smaller entrepreneurs, it's like, this is what they want to do. And yeah. like, that's, that's cool. And that's something yeah. cool to support. I know the story behind is really important. Uh, you know, a lot of people like have quit their day jobs to do this because that's their ultimate passion. And I think um, when I spoke to Andrew, he mentioned about the story, you know, of doing um, toffee in his grandfather's kitchen, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Right, his dad's kitchen, but yeah. His dad's kitchen. Okay. Yeah. So I think there's so much heart and soul to that. Um, do you see that really resonate with people? Like, does that connect with a lot of them? And that's why people come and buy? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, most of us aren't huge successful business owners. So like when you talk to somebody who's just like you, like you get up and you go to a job every day and like yeah. your job just happens to be maybe making potato chips or making brownies or something different than like being a CPA. Yeah. Um, so I feel like people are, people really relate to kind of the backstory of people and to hear something like, you know, I mean, especially like Andrew, yeah, like making, I mean, his dad's a, a firefighter. He made it in the, the fire engine. Everybody loved it. Kind of taught Andrew how to make it and Andrew wanted to sell it. So mm-hmm. him, and his, him and his dad are literally making the first probably six months of their batches like in their own family kitchen and like yeah. selling them at craft shows and stuff. And now, I mean, Andrew has a huge facility. He's got, um, depending on the time of year, anywhere from 10 to 20 employees. Um, he's been on a bunch of national media. He's, mm-hmm. I, I think he's in over a thousand stores, like sells yeah. online. I mean, it's crazy. And mm. that his company is still even so small to where like he's still involved in all the day-to-day operations. Like he's yeah. the guy that like if you call the number, like he's still picking up the phone, he's answering the emails, you know. Yeah. So even though like he's grown and it that's what he does for a living, it's still like it's still a small business at heart. Um yeah. and the passion is still there. I mean, like they just sell toffee and it's yeah. like this, you know, hand me down recipe from hit from his father. I mean, like the story doesn't get cooler than that yeah it's incredible and i remember he even said um, they sell to canada and uh, nationwide so it's a very impressive story um so just so people know uh, andrew is the other half of mitten crate so have you seen like a rise in number of local food artisans since you've started operating like do you see more and more and more people getting into this yeah i think um I think one thing I'm noticing is a lot of, I feel like it used to be fringe when we first started. It was <laughs> a lot of kind of farmer's market, um, very, very low key cottage industry, cottage industry type stuff. Um, I think what's really beautiful now is you, you still have all of those like fun, nice, quirky products, um, but you're seeing some like real players in like the local food space, like people that have came in with like money to actually like invest in like startup culture and you know like putting out really cool products and stuff like that or even bigger companies investing in smaller companies that are like local startups um because they're just like part of a niche market um so that's really cool i think that overall the base is definitely growing um i don't think we're anywhere near market saturation like i don't think that you know 
it's not like there's too many hot sauce companies. You know what I mean? Yeah, like there, there are, there's, yeah. there's still only a handful of local hot sauce companies, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't think we're anywhere near market saturation yet. Um, but I think something that I'm really excited about is like you, the, the network is getting so big, whether you're coming in and like starting, you know, a company with like your retirement fund and this is what you wanted to do your whole life and you can do marketing and advertising and stuff like right off the bat. Or if you're super young and you're just creating a cool product and you're like selling it direct to vendors and like going into stores and starting out really small, um, the network is there and I feel like mm -hmm. it's kind of, it's on everybody's radar. So everybody's having a lot of success with it, which is really good. Um, it used to be really hard to get your product out there, you know? Yeah buyers for stores were notoriously hard-headed and especially larger chains you know like Meyer and Kroger and stuff like that it'd be like look man we have 250 stores like <laughs> you're, you're making stuff in your kitchen like you know there's no way you can produce enough to to meet our demands yeah, um, yeah. but what they're doing now is they're realizing that people want local products so like yeah. if you have products that are made around Lake Orion the couple Kroger's in Lake Orion will pick up those products um, so they have like a localized buyer um, and that's super cool. I mean, I have a huge corporation like Kroger who is now like instead of this like flat supply chain, they're like really drilling down into like, oh, we could sell these in these like six stores. Yeah. It, we're giving back to the community. We're still supporting local. We're giving people around here. We'll have an instant connection. You know, if you see a, a salsa and you're like, oh, man, this is made, you know, in Lake right Orion or whatever. Yeah. And you're yeah, and you're from there. You're like, whoa, that's so crazy. <laughs> um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So um, you're a Michigan boy, right? So is that why local is so important or what came about? Um, so I think for me, local started in, so I've been in food for a long time, um, like restaurant management and that type of stuff. Um, and so I feel like probably a little less than a decade ago, in the Midwest at least, um, farm to table sourcing good products sourcing locally i mean you know like really before it was like you just ordered stuff off a truck and it came like you just you know you went to the grocery store like you didn't really understand where your where your food came from, from um, yeah. yeah and i think through kind of the the uprise in um like food documentaries the uprise in like celebrity chefs and stuff people kind of got away from chain restaurants and all this stuff and made a huge push towards um like farm to table type stuff yeah so that's my that was kind of like my inflection point was like really caring about like not what food not what food you're serving or the environment you're serving in but like where are you getting the actual food yeah um you know and like if we can get michigan apples like why the hell wouldn't we you know mm. and it, um so i started caring a lot more about where my food was coming from from that aspect and then that kind of like led me into like more local culture and then seeing people doing like retail focused products and, and kind of realizing that ingredients and dishes can also be products and therefore and that kind of is a trickle down effect you know when you're trying to find a a local honey for a dish or a local barbecue sauce and you but then now you're like oh cool like this is also like a local bag of chips or this is like a local thing of jelly or whatever you know it's like yeah. your mind's always your mind's always kind of looking for it um so it definitely started off like in food um and i think the big turning point was i was managing a restaurant in a market um in new york actually um probably about four years ago Mm -hmm. And Andrew had came to visit me and he had just got like a new facility. He was like growing really fast. And so we had all of these local products in the store and we're going over everything. And I was like, man, like all this stuff is like super close. It's local. Here's like chocolate made in Brooklyn. Mm. Uh, this is like honey from Washington Heights. These are like, mm. you know, these are eggs from Hudson Valley, like maple syrup and yeah. milk and, and all this stuff. Ice cream was like so local. Um, 
And he was like, nobody's doing this in Michigan. Like this is, he's like, and I go to these shows and there's people that are making local food, but there's no avenue for them to, to, to kind of get a foothold. Yeah. Um, so when I came back, we, we sat down and we talked about it and we were like, what's the best way to help all these small companies? Um, and then, you know, that's mitten crate. So, but yeah, but I mean, I think first and foremost, it was a passion for supply chain of food, um, mm -hmm. in like a restaurant setting. Um, yeah. And then that just like led to all things local all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, that actually makes complete sense because that's how Grubbable came about too. It essentially started as a way to tell people about where your food is coming from and how sustainable or natural it is. And that you can also find local and sustainable food in restaurants, uh, which I don't think would occur to people you know, automatically when you think of restaurants for restaurant food, you don't think about locally sourced all the time. Yeah, so, uh, and it's amazing how in in a place like Detroit or in Detroit and Ann Arbor, Greater Detroit area, we've had like 141 restaurants that serve locally sourced and sustainable. It's almost amazing to believe that there are a lot of people getting into this movement, and that this is not a fa you know a fad anymore. It's it's definitely something that's catching on. People believe in. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that we talk about a lot here at Grubbable is the impact of keeping things local on the local community because a lot of times uh, when we try and think about the local food movement, it's really about supporting the local restaurants, the local community, local employees, um, you know, keeping dollars local, local farmers, local artisans. So it's kind of a lot of synergy within the community and kind of just encouraging more people to do things right. Uh, oh, have you been yeah. able to see that? Like, do you see a lot of impact on local community, like positively impacting? Um, yeah, I think that the, the fact that the, the community of people who want to buy local and are buying local um, is growing more and more every day. And I think that keeping all of the money here from like a, an easy like economic standpoint is more beneficial to the state. Um, yeah. More and more people going to Eastern Market means more and more people in Michigan who are selling stuff and you're kind of like circulating the money like back into the local economy. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's super positive. I think, I think again, we still have a lot of room for that to definitely grow. Yeah. Um, but I think that if you, if you're spending money local, like on something that is local and it could be anything, mm -hmm. I mean, to be completely honest, um, but pr you know, primarily food, the people you're spending money with are probably, um, way, I don't, I mean, I don't have any numbers, but like way more likely to keep spending on local stuff. Mm. Um, you know, they're more likely to go to an independently owned salon or an independently owned uh, oil change place or whatever the case may be. It's like people who understand the benefit of supporting local small businesses and our small business owners are constantly trying to invest in other small business owners. Um, and I think that that is like, that's been huge for growth in Southeastern Michigan. I mean, you've seen tons and tons of old brands be like reinvigorated, uh, brands mm -hmm. like, uh, like Buddy's Pizza and stuff like that. What's you know they've been around for years and years and years. Um, they've just probably in the past five years have like really grown, really shot up. Like people are like, oh whoa, like this this pizza chain like started in Detroit. That's crazy. Like of course I'm going to eat there over Pizza Hut or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. Wow. Okay. So uh, we now want to talk about you know I know we've talked about a lot of serious things. So we want to talk about a bunch of your artisanal products that people can find on Mitten Crate. I think Mary can do a good job of talking because she writes a blog about um, her Mitten Crate 
um, every month and she kind of particularly give, gives even suggestions of you know how to use those products maybe in a salad or otherwise so um, I know this might sound like a little you know um, cheeky but do you have a favorite of your own products <laughs> are you allowed to say uh, one <laughs> um, I would say I guess professionally no obviously um, you know it's kind of like all your children are your favorite children um, <laughs> I tend to I tend to get really excited about things that are a little bit kind of out of the ordinary. People who yeah. have funky flavors for stuff or just are doing like cool things or just a little bit different. Um, I like when people take risks. So yeah. um, you know, one of one of my favorite people is uh, Tara from Gus and Gray. Gray. Um, yeah, I mean she's just I mean she's just like a ball of energy and joy yeah. and she's so chipper and amazing all the time. Uh, she's a great influence on like other food entrepreneurs. But what I love about her, the product is like, she just does like really funky jam flavors, you know? Mm -hmm. And like things that you would like never really like think to do or that are just kind of like, whoa, like how does that even taste? You know, <laughs> like she's, um, what did she do one time? She did like a, she made a jam out of uh, smoked tomatillos and garlic um, mm. that we had. Yeah, I, and it was like just, it was so good. I mean, you're making jam. I mean, so you're still adding like sugar. You're still, you're making like this thing that's supposed to be sweet out of something that's like super acidic and savory. And then the smoky component is like, you know, completely different. Wow. And yeah, and you're just like, whoa, like what's to what's totally going on? Um, and I like when people do stuff like that. Um, there's another another entrepreneur, uh, Becerra from Lush Nuts, and her flavors for her. She does like candy coated like peanuts and almonds and trail mixes and all this stuff. But she has all these super cool flavors, you know. Like um, she has like a like a rose petal and pink peppercorn flavor. She's got like hot curry peanuts, um, uh, coconut lavender, almonds. I mean, like just like really cool, fun flavors. So I like when people do like really funky stuff. Um, and I I also have a soft spot for people that do stuff like very very, very like very very simple things very 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 well. Um, mm -hmm. Like there's a company called Al Dente. Um, that's been in business for probably like 30 years. They make pasta. It's just like super natural, minimal, easy, like pasta. Um, cooks really fast, but it's it's so good. And yeah. everything's everything's still like you know ex it's extruded mechanically, but it's all packaged by hand, and they do all the stuff, and it's just really <laughs> cool. And something that's so simple and so easy. I mean, you're just like dumping pasta in boiling water and like making a dish. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. But the fact that they've been in business for like 30 years, like is mind-blowing wow that's wonderful mary what about you you keep trying so many different things yeah i mean it's been so cool to like research where all these like i didn't know mcclure's history and i feel like they've expanded so much beyond their pickles and i loved like the bloody mary chips so much because they were like spicy and kind of almost like a barbecue but still like the taste of pickles um yeah, I don't know. It's just been really fun, like experimenting and like even baking, like what's coming, like the Among Friends, gluten free. I would definitely probably never buy that on my own. And yeah, it's just nice. been cool to get like the same brand and seeing how they're expanding in different products. And yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. I like, um, you know, those roasted lentils from. Oh, from Simple Supple Foods. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, those are so good. Yeah. Yeah. It can go with anything. <laughs> There's, um, I, I will say, um, so I do a lot of like hiking and backpacking. Um, and 
there's always so I can pretty much sustain myself on like almost all Michigan food products. So um, my buddy Chris makes caffeinated chocolate chip cookies. Um, oh my yeah. God. So he's so he's from he's from the East Coast. Uh, he's from Maryland. Uh, he went to U of M. He's a U of M grad, um, and he gets his cookies made in, I think it's Ypsilanti. I can't mm. remember for sure. Um, but who, like, there's a there's like a bakery who produces these cookies for him with this like special ingredient, caffeine, and all this stuff. Um, and so I do those. Um, uh, Av from Nike Butter makes like a like a, almost like those Justin's peanut butter packets. Um, but this is like a little bit more substantial, and he mixes like like raw cacao and agave fiber and stuff like in there. So it's like flavorful and like, you know, sustaining. Um, obviously there's like Gurmak trail mix and Lush Nuts trail mix is super, super good. Um, what else do I take camping a lot too? Oh, wow. Do you take like the granolas at all? Or? Oh, yep. Yeah. I probably, I used to use Good Life granola a lot because I used to have like a cinnamon apple flavor that was really, really good. Um, they've actually unfortunately went out of business um, about six months ago. Um, so I haven't, I haven't, I haven't used another granola since when the last time I went backpacking, but those, that was always like my go-to. Oh, wow. Um, do all these uh, items and the, and the lentils, the whole thing, like started from like, I also bring like packages and packages of those lentils. Cause I can eat like bags of those. They're oh, so yeah, good. Those are, they're so good. They're so good. Mm -hmm. Uh, but has, um, do have these artisans inspired you into becoming one yourself? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yes and no. I think, um, I think I unfortunately kind of get the the worst of both worlds, if that's a real thing. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, where my background is in food, I'm around food entrepreneurs all the time. You know, we always have these like kind of zany ideas and I always have all of these things kind of going and I have all of the connections and the know-how and, and like I have all of this stuff. But I think that it's almost like the fact that I can, I've seen so many people's businesses, um, you know, end to end. I'm kind of a perfectionist, so I feel like I can't I can't launch something myself unless it's perfect. And so I see like you know kind of all this stuff, and it's almost like there's there's too many obstacles in the way for me to be like oh, I'm just gonna like pour my heart and soul into this and just like you know um, um, kind of reckless 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 abandon doesn't really apply to me for starting a food business. Um, <laughs> Aww. It would also probably be really terrible if I started a food business and failed at it. So, <laughs> <laughs> if you could, though, what would you what would you do? I would probably do. Um, hmm. We actually we have we've talked about doing um, like a like a cocktail salt, like um, like a Bloody Mary rim or like a margarita rim. Um, oh. Yeah, do like a salt because um, you can you can get them, but it's just like it's usually just salt or whatever, and it's like packaging is kind of whatever and there's no Michigan companies doing it and then you could do cool stuff like I really like spicy stuff so you know you could have like you know like jalapeno salt you know for your margaritas or something like that well that sounds um, good <laughs> and then um, I've had an idea for a while um, that I've talked to a lot of people about doing actually uh, but it's 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 a pretty big barrier entry and, so, and lots of like sourcing but um, I'm a huge beef jerky nerd um, I love 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 beef jerky um, like you know to make beef jerky and all this stuff. Um, so I would like to do a grass-fed beef jerky, but only have it be from beef heart. Um, so heart is like one of, A, it's the most underutilized muscle in, in food. Um, it's also one of the leanest muscles in cattle. 
Um, and there's all these like extra like micronutrients in there, like you know iron and folate and all this stuff. Um, but it's a sourcing issue, and it's it's kind of yeah. weird. Like for me, it's really cool. Like I'm totally like all about it, but you know, it's very you know, regulated, right? For you. Oh uh, uh, well, yeah. Well, and then that's the other thing too is as far as like um, production and scaling and packaging and licensing and all that stuff. It's 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 a pretty big nightmare to to get yeah. into that. Um, yeah. But you know, if um, if I had a lot of free time, it would be it would be awesome because it'd be really cool. Um, and it's but it's also really quirky, you know. Be like, oh, here, eat this beef heart, like. Yeah, I feel like I don't know. It's so interesting. <laughs> it is interesting. <laughs> you know, I had a friend uh, in Boston. He used to make uh, bear meat jerky. Oh no way! Yeah. Super cool. That is super cool. So um, he had a bunch of hunter friends. So every time they went hunting, he would get you know <laughs> new fresh loads. So he would then circulate it in the office, and that'd be a big hit. But yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, okay, so finally, we kind of I think we've had a really good chat, and we're gonna have many more of these with you, Corey, over the next few months, obviously. But um, so we usually end this uh, chat show with some sort of a stupid real conversation about the shows, TV shows that you're binge watching right now. So which one are you binge watching? Uh, <laughs> you're major TV buffs, so. Which one am I binge watching right now? Um, We're just tuning into. Yeah, well, so Girls just came back on. I'm a huge, I'm a huge HBO person. Um, Me too. Yeah, so Girls, I uh, just watched the first episode of Big Little Lies. Me too. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm super excited for Silicon Valley to come back on the air. That's going to be yeah. really awesome. That's what um, I need to get into. Oh, really? Oh, it's oh, so love. good. That's yeah. so good. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, that show is great. Um, Big Little Lies was okay. Girls was a disappointment. It's been disappointing from the past few seasons. What do you think? Um, yeah, I feel like I just watch it because I'm invested in it, like, thus far. Um, yeah. I mean, That's I think it yeah it, me I, I think it kind of – so what I think happened is I think they probably in season, like, three or four – it got so popular so quick. Yeah. Um, and then I don't want to say they ran out of content, but it was kind of like, I feel like they were almost at the end of their arc and they yeah. were like, Oh, well, like let's just like turn this into like kind of a train wreck dramedy type of thing. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think Lena's a super smart woman. Um, and yeah. I love, I love how much she pushes the envelope. Um, yeah. But it's, and, and, and the writing's like really good. I just yeah. don't think it's not, if it was just coming out and it was like without having like the character backstories and stuff like it, it like I, you wouldn't be invested in it. Yeah. All. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Know, but it's like, it's like anything. I mean, that's how, you know, like that's how X-Files was. It was like, they had all these like really cool stuff. And then it's like, yeah. well, we kind of did everything. So now I guess we'll just like keep on making weirder yeah. and weirder yeah. stuff. X-Files turned into oh, a disaster long. though. <laughs> it was. Yeah. And it was too long. It went on for too many seasons. Uh, that's what I feel about girls. When I when it first started, I was super impressed because of the writing and how crisp it was, how different it was. Uh, but yeah, this is the final season. I think they should stop at this season. Is what we feel. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. yeah, I do still love little things about it, though. Like, I'm still watching it. So I'm still yeah. watching. I like Adam. <laughs> yeah, I like Adam. Crazy too. guy. <laughs> yeah. He's really evolved. Yeah. Crazy character. So yeah. So wow, this is nice. We like the fact that you're an HBO person because Mary and I, we've we've been watched so many things that we've actually run out of shows. 
and yesterday we were thinking about new shows and we were thinking about watching going back to some old classics you know like Poro and Miss Marple and Agatha Christie classics and stuff because you've kind of run out of stuff but it's nice that the new shows have begun on HBO yeah. and keep until Game of Thrones comes so yeah, yeah I, that's probably that's probably the show I'm most excited for like all year mm -hmm. like for sure like I just can't even I can't even wait it's gonna be insane yeah, yeah. I like every yeah. thing right now and <laughs> get ready yeah for yeah, I have, I have a friend who wants to rewatch it again, and I've probably I've probably seen it two times all the way through. Yeah, like for sure, two times all the way through. So, and yeah, you have to like, do it every year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, oh yeah, and definitely yeah, it yeah, it's so good. I, yeah, I can't wait to like watch like five hours of it and then like go to dinner and come back and watch the premiere. Like, <laughs> yeah, so you're, I A hundred percent caught up on like every tiny like little detail. Yeah. Oh my god. So, you know, I actually found um, a Game of Thrones uh, flavored, uh, Game of Thrones style uh, beer in Costco in December. Oh, yeah. It's a brewery called Oma Gang out of Cooperstown, New York. Um, yeah. yeah. They're actually, they're an amazing brewery. Um, so it was, um, are, you, are you familiar with the Chimay beer? Yeah. Um, so I believe, I'm not 100% positive on this, but I think, so the, the dude who started Chimay, his son moved to the United States and opened up Oma Gang Brewery. Um, so that's why all of his beers are like very, very Belgian style. Um, but they produce amazing beers. They're actually probably one of my top five beers of all time is the Oma Gang Three Philosophers. Um, it's like a Belgian quad brewed with like, I think like 2% like cherries or something like that, like masticated cherries. Um, yeah. So it's like super bright, like kind of tart, um, but like not like fruity on it's, it's so good, but it's, it's one of my favorite beers. Wow. Yeah. It sounds yummy. Yeah, is it did. hard to find? Um, no, not really. Uh, most, I would say, most smaller places are definitely going to have it. Costco should have a, at least some of them. Um, most, like, Myers will have them. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Whole Foods has, like, their whole lineup, too. So you can always go to Whole Foods. Um, I'm not sure about Kroger, um, but, but we have, my buddy owns, um, uh, like a beer and wine shop right up the road for me. And then I live really close to holiday in Royal Oak. Um, yeah. so, so between the two of them, I mean, I can find like pretty much anything like there's yeah. <laughs> that's holiday markets, like one of the best stock stores, I, I think in Metro Detroit, as far as like beer and wine are con like concerned, like they just have so much good stuff. Their staff's super knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Oh, Mary, I think we should do a, a, a blog on local, uh, you know, the brews and the beer and everything. Yeah, for sure. So Mary. All this sounds great. Okay. Yeah, I'll, 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 be, I'll be in for that. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah we can do like a cold blog or something. I'll be <laughs> like, a, like a taste test. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you, Corey. This was fun. Hope we can do more of these. And next time, hopefully we can do it outside and see your face. Okay. More yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this was fun. And, and yeah, we'll uh, see you guys back at a different time next week. I think we're doing one with Danielle. So that'll be a different type of show. It's going to be all about mom and kids and eating local and sustainable. But yeah, it'll be fun. All right, guys. This was great. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye.